The Daily Tap is live for Thursday. It is July 6th. We are doing importance rankings for the month of July. We're going to recap Brewers-Cubs for the first three games of the series and then talk a little bit about Threads, the newest social media platform and why I do not think it will work for sports. So we'll get into all that and much more today uh, yeah, you can follow along on Threads, Tapping the Keg Sports. It's part of my Instagram profile. So basically everything from Instagram got ported in there. Um, like I said, we'll explain a little bit more at the back end of this pod uh, as we as we discuss, uh, it, as it's really, to me, not sports functional. Um, so we'll get into that um, in a second here. Uh, but we are there. We're also on Twitter, Tapping the Keg, Tapping the Keg Sports on TikTok as well uh, as Facebook. So make sure you're following along on as many platforms as possible. If you came in through social media and you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. Uh, We are on every platform you could possibly get for the podcast, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Overcast, Good Pods, the whole thing. We are there. Google, I think Amazon, we're all about it. Uh, The only thing we're missing is YouTube, which I would love to be on YouTube. I'd love to do more in in the video space, but just, you know, it's not a full-time job. So we, you know, you have to limit your hours a little bit there. Uh, Like I said, we're talking importance rankings. We're going to talk a little bit about Brewers Cubs, and then we're going to get into threads today. So look forward to talking about all that, and let's waste no more time and get into the importance rankings for the month of July. If you are new to tapping the keg and you haven't you know checked us out before what importance rankings are something we do at the start of every month we're a little late here for the month of july due to the holiday and everything else but basically we talk about the most important people the most most important events for the month of that we're in uh and it's usually at the start of the month at usually i try to go you know second day third day of the month but obviously with this being the sixth we still have a lot of meat on the bone. There isn't a lot that we've missed in the first couple of days. You could say, well, NBA free agency and whatever, but just kind of got screwed with how the dates work. And that that happens, right? So uh, we're not going to worry about that. Uh, and we're going to go from 1 to 10. I, I was almost going to not do 10 because July, obviously one of the slower months of the year in terms of sports. But I found 10 things to talk about. So that that's great. That'll be a bulk of our show today. And we'll get into it right now. I think the most important thing in the month of July is Matt Arnold. Matt Arnold to me has a very difficult job, right? Matt Arnold has to decide if he wants to try to push further with the Milwaukee Brewers and try to make them a World Series team, or if he wants to take a step back and say, all right, maybe we trade some guys, maybe we don't do much at the deadline. We just do the bare minimum. We don't, you know, send out one of our top players for, you know, prospects unless we think that this person has a long-term impact on the team. Dave Schoenfield of ESPN.com had, you know, this column where it's like one move for every team. And the move for the Brewers was trading for Eloy Jimenez of the Chicago White Sox. Now, Eloy has a bunch of years left on his deal. It would be an expensive price to pay for Jimenez, but it would be a major add to the Brewers offense. It would immediately give the Brewers offense some light. Jimenez is great against left-handers, so that would also be a huge boon for the Milwaukee Brewers. 
And that might be worth it because Arnold could evaluate it and say, all right, in, we're going to get a lot of production out of Jimenez in the next couple of years and trading away one of our top prospects might be worth it. Now, I think that there's a group of guys, and we can do Brewers trade value in another podcast, but I think there's a group of guys that are off the table when it comes to prospects. Trio's obvious, but I also think Tyler Black's in that. I think Sal Freelich's in that. I think Jefferson Quiro or Quero is in that. Uh, so that's what, four or five? Gasser, I think's in that. Uh, Jacob Monostrowski, I think's in there. Like, they have a lot of guys where I think it needs to be a MVP type guy to come back. Like, if Paul Goldschmidt was a real possibility for the Milwaukee Brewers, I would maybe consider dealing one of those guys, even though it's the St. Louis Cardinals. I understand this. we can be scared about that, but scared money don't make money. And if you really feel like there's a chance you could be in the World Series, then go for it. I do wonder how much that Brave series uh, in a couple weeks is going to influence everything because you look at that, and the Atlanta Braves are the best team in the NL, might be the best team in baseball. You play them at home, uh, four weekend series. It's not next, it's not two weeks from now, it's three weeks from now. No, it is two weeks from now, excuse me. It's two weeks from now. And I feel like that is a great measuring stick and it's right before the deadline. It's about four, you know, 10 days before the deadline. So you're gonna have a real good idea of what your team is all about. If that didn't make the importance rankings, but I feel like that's part of the Matt Arnold decision. You know, what does Matt Arnold decide to do? If the Brewers look competent against the Braves, they don't necessarily even have to win every game. But if they win two out of three against Atlanta or they're in every game against Atlanta, looks like a team that they can compete with in the playoffs, then yeah, maybe it's worth making moves because that's the team you're going to probably have to beat to get to the World Series. That's the best team, again, not only in the NL, but probably in baseball. But I, I think there would be critics who are against maybe pushing forward of like, all right, that's one series. That's three games. Like anything can happen, right? The Brewers got swept by the Oakland Athletics. Like any anything can happen in three games. So maybe maybe hold your horses here a little bit. I, which I, I understand in a sense, but if the coaching staff and everything come away from that Brave Series thinking like, yeah, we have some edges on them. We have some advantages. We can ball with these guys, then then you yeah, you got to trust that. You have to believe in that. And if they tell you the opposite, and they're like, you know what? We are not on their level. We are not to where the Braves are. We need to catch that standard, but we're not there this year. And if that's the case, then don't do a ton. Keep, you know, kind of keep it there. Don't try to elevate yourself unless there is something that really makes sense for your team. So we'll, we'll see what Matt Arnold does, but to me, he's far and away the most important guy because this can swing in so many different directions. I do not think they're gonna do a hater-like deal. I think Arnold has already said he's not prob- he's not trading Corbin Burns or Willie Adamas and got out in front of that you know, a week ago. And that, that was already sort of signed, sealed, and delivered. I don't think there's any worry that those guys would go. Could I see them trying to move on from a Raul Telez or try to sell Keston Cura? To another team, yeah, I, I think that could be on the table. Do I think they could try to get rid of Jesse Winker for casting here? I don't think anyone would take Jesse Winker, but I, I do think little moves like that to maybe bolster other parts of the team is potentially on the table. Could a Julio Tehran, if Tehran kind of figures it back out, could Tehran 
be on the table understanding that Brandon Woodruff is slowly but surely coming back. Like, that, again, could be a, a, a move the Brewers might make. Uh, I, I do think there is definitely a wish list, and that's a podcast for another time. But I, I do think that there is opportunities to make small moves that might not result in, hey, we're going to win the World Series, but, but moves that could at least take you another level and at least pass Cincinnati Reds and win the division for the fourth time in five years. Number two on my list, speaking of those Reds, is the Brewers and Reds series that are coming in the next few weeks. We have Brewers Reds on Friday through through Sunday to end the All-Star break. Then we have the Brewers and Reds facing off against each other in Cincinnati to start the second half of the season. And then another series, a weekday series between the Brewers and Reds right after the Atlanta Braves. That that homestand is going to be a difficult one for your Milwaukee Brewers, you know, going forward. That's not that suddenly isn't easy when you have to go Braves and Reds back to back. That's a lot of offense that the Brewers are going to be dealing with here in the second half of the season. But yeah, the Reds, the Reds have obviously been red hot. They just seem to be unable to lose baseball games. Oh, yeah. oh, geez. I didn't realize this. That's, that was very, uh, very Wisconsin of me. God, look at the Brewers' second half. That should have been its own own importance rankings. They go at Cincinnati, then they're, home play, they're, they're at, at Philadelphia to start the second half. Then they go home to play Atlanta, then, then playing Cincinnati, then back on the road to play Atlanta before they play Washington and Pittsburgh. That is such a huge stretch of games for the Milwaukee Brewers. My goodness. Uh, but let's let's focus on the Reds part of it because that to me is going to decide the division. It's absolutely crazy that the Brewers and Reds will not play the rest of the season. That is their last matchup for the Brewers and Reds all year. And when you looked at this, the schedule to start the year, you probably thought nothing of it. You're probably like, just take care of business. Just take care of business against those teams. And instead you now have a Reds team that you have to beat, that you have to take care of business against and t- and get that done and, and, and make sure you win those games because if you don't and you don't have the tiebreaker over them, that could really come back to bite you in the end. Now, what people probably don't know or they haven't been paying close enough attention is the Giants have sort of fallen back to earth a little bit. The Brewers are only a game out of the wild card. It looks like the Marlins have one of those other wild cards on lock, but the Brewers are right there in terms of the wild card conversation. I know we can make all the jokes we want about the NL Central, but the Brewers are, you know, hanging there. They're they're right right in the mix now that the Giants have lost some games and the Giants aren't really playing great baseball. It's them and the Phillies, and if the Reds were to lose, the Reds would be, you know, in that conversation as well. The Brewers have were three and one against the Reds, you know, about a month ago. But that was pre Ellie De La Cruz, like that was B E L D C before Ellie De La Cruz. Now you're facing after Ellie De La Cruz, and how the Brewers respond to that? The Reds, the Reds are very were very difficult, but the Brewers seemingly had their number. And so, can the Brewers replicate that this weekend? Can they be, you know, one of the only teams to humble this this organization? And I, when I say humble, I don't mean like the LED Lakers bat flip yesterday. If you missed it, it was awesome. Like go go check that out. But I mean more in the sense of can they beat them a couple times? 
and you have Andrew Abbott against Corbin Burns game one. And to me, that is such a massive tone-setting game for the series. Brewers have been bad against lefties, although it's been getting better. You have Colin Ray versus Luke Weaver on Saturday, which will be just an absolute shit show of a baseball game. Uh, I expect that to be 10 to 11 runs, first to probably eight or nine wins that game. And then Tehran against who knows for the Reds. The Reds have not announced who they're starting for that Sunday game. But yeah, it's it's going to be a big series because we'll see what happens today. You know, the Brewers play the Cubs, the Reds play the Nationals. If, you know, the Brewers can win the Nash, the, and the Nationals win, the Brewers will then be, I think, only a half game back of, of the Reds, you know, to head into that series. And I, I do think there is something to, you know, sort of setting, oh, they'd be one game back. So Brewers right now are two games back. So there, there's a world where the Brewers could be as worse as like six games back if things really fall apart. That would be I, I obviously worst case scenario, and we'd have a lot of things to discuss on Monday. But it, you know, I think best case scenario is the Brewers, you know, come out guns a blazing for the last four games of the, of the before the All Star break, and they're able to you know take over that spot from the Reds heading into the second half, and then it's Brewers-Reds again. To me, what I'm interested in this in this game, this series this weekend, and I, I'm probably putting the cart before the horse because I'm sure we could talk about this tomorrow in great detail, is just how do the Reds handle that pressure? And maybe we'll save that for tomorrow and, and ask some questions about that Brewers-Reds series. But this, to me, feels like the first time the Reds are going to have real pressure uh, over the weekend, and we'll see how they deal with it because I, I think every young team handles it way differently. Number three is Christian Yelich. Uh, Christian Yelich has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, after a really rough April, Christian Yelich has been one of the best hitters in baseball, and Christian Yelich has really come back to life. He's had sort of a renaissance year, and it's been so fun to watch it and to see Christian Yelich get that redemption. I will say it, there were times where I would waver on Christian Yelich. I think Mitch was very poignant in some of the things that he said this year. He was more out on Yelich, but I think he was like, you know, hey, if we can just get Yelich back to kind of Miami Yelich, like we're we're going to be we're going to be all right. And Yelich right now has had 10 home runs, 20 stolen bases, batting 286, his OPS is 830. For the year, he has 17 doubles, uh, two triples, uh, 89 hits overall. And the guy is just scalding the baseball. His month of June alone, he batted three, he batted 320 with nearly a thousand OPS, 912 on that OPS. I mean, there is definite signs of life after a really rough May. And Yelich told Bob Nightingale, like, I fixed a few things, I had to adapt or die, and it's really working out. So I think we give the hitting coaches a hard time because the Brewers offense has, you know, had some struggles. I think they've been actually better, better of late. Uh, and I, I, they have to get a ton of credit here for working with Christian Yelich, kind of fixing what was wrong with Christian Yelich. And we'll see, we'll see what kind of run he can make here in the second half. But he has become a very reliable Brewer. I watched a game with a Cubs fan yesterday. And he talked about how Yelich still scares him. Like he still remembers 2018, 2019 Yelich. 
And maybe we'll never get back to that from a power perspective. Maybe what happened with his knees, what happened with his bat, what happened with the juice balls, maybe we will never get that sort of power swing from Christian Yelich again. But who knows, right? Could it be something where, you know, this is the start of, of it and the power is the last piece? And if that happens, I mean, that changes the whole dynamic of the Milwaukee Brewers. But it's, it's really good to have Christian Yelich back in this sort of, sort of world in this in this sort of view because I, I feel like it was so frustrating to watch. It was also kind of sad in a sense. And to have this this version of Yelich back is really is really good. And it we'll see if he can keep it up. Like that's part of the July importance, right? Can Christian Yelich sort of keep up what he's doing here? And it's not just a hot two months, right? At, at some point, will he slow down or will it just sort of keep elevating and keep rising to being one of those top players? I, I think the one thing, if you want to be a little bit of a Debbie Downer, and I have to look through this, so don't fact check me on it, but Ryan Braun seemingly after, you know, he had the MVP year and everything else, and they started having back issues and, you know, had some hand issues too, where Ryan Braun would do this, where it'd be like, oh, old Braun, he's back. And it'd be like two months of just awesome Ryan Braun shit. And then like he would get an injury or something would happen. And then, you know, we'd kind of fall down the hill a little bit. I hope that that's not the case for Christian Yelich. I, I hope that this is just rising to the top. And I'm really happy that he's been able to get this redemption. Let's move off the Milwaukee Brewers and talk a little bit about the Milwaukee Bucks, the other team in Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Bucks check in at number four in the July importance rankings, and I have John Horst. So John Horst was able to bring back Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez. I think that was something that we certainly wanted as Bucks fans. I think ever, most Bucks fans were clamoring for the return of Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez. Now, they paid a little bit extra, and I, I think we kind of talked about that. I heard some national programs also talk about how there was almost like this tax built in, especially if you were a, a, maybe a not desirable team. And I, I think Milwaukee, from a city perspective, is not desirable because it's cold as shit in the middle of the months of the NBA season. But I do think from a championship contender, the Bucks should be top of the list. It's kind of frustrating that the Bucks are still kind of considered this small market team when I feel like they're more than that in terms of basketball. But John Horse was able to also add Malik Beasley and able to add Robin Lopez. According to Kevin O'Connor, Robin Lopez was part of Brooke Lopez re-signing with the Milwaukee Bucks, that he wanted his brother along for the ride. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, there weren't a ton of great bigs that were left, right? Uh, the the Bucks sort of dra dragged their feet a little bit. And because they dragged their feet, they weren't necessarily able to get a top-tier backup big. Uh, not a Thomas Bryant, not a Jackson Hayes, uh, not a few other of the names that mentioned didn't get involved in the Zubak market. Not that you would have Zubak as a backup big, but you, you get my you get the point. So I, I don't mind it. Um, you know, it, it's it's not ideal, but it's fine. Uh, and Robin Lopez 
can at least give you some good minutes. He can play some defense. He can give you a couple fouls. He can certainly rough up somebody at the rim, right? A guy you could throw at Jokic, hypothetically, at least for a few minutes, just just to sort of beat him up, right? Like kind of what you saw with Tristan Thompson and everything like that in the Western Conference Finals. So it's fine. Malik Beasley was obviously the big ad from John Horace. And Malik Beasley, to me, could be a starter for this team. Uh, great shooter, uh, really, really solid bench guy, and can give the Bucks a microwave option off the bench. And that's something they haven't really had. And they haven't had in a long time. And Beasley could really sort of light it up for Milwaukee. And I'm very high on what Malik Beasley can do for this team. But why John Horst also checks in in this important string, it's not what he's already done in July. It's what he could do for the rest of the month. There is a longstanding rumor that the Bucs are interested in Colin Saxon. From what I've been told, the, the Jazz want Pat Conton in the deal. Not only do the Jazz want Pat Connaughton in the deal, they also want the first round pick. So because of that, that's creating a lot of sort of friction with, with the Bucs. And that that's sort of a problem right now for the Bucs to get Colin Sexton. If you do the contracts, the math really works out to get Colin Sexton and then to sign A.J. Green and to sign Thanasis Antetokounmpo, the Bucs would check in right under the apron. Uh, I think his name's Ryan uh, on Twitter, Archon14, did a great job sort of breaking that down. It was really sharp. Probably should give him a follow on Twitter for that um, because it was really bright. Like he, it was a really like uh, poignant sort of how, how he broke it down. I, I was really appreciative of Ryan doing all of that because it made a lot of sense to me. And he he's a little smarter with the numbers than I am. And I appreciate those guys. Like there are guys who do that with like scholarships from Marquette and stuff like that. But but anyways, uh, not to deter the point. Uh, so I, I, I look, so will Colin Sexton be a buck? And that's kind of where the John Horse importance falls in because I don't want John Horse to lose a staring contest to Danny Age. I think it's really hard to beat Danny Age in a trade. Danny Age does not like to lose trades. And Danny Age is going to try to drain you for everything that you have. He's going to try to get that first rounder out of you. He's going to try to get Pat Connaughton. I don't really want the Bucs to give up a first rounder. I also don't want them to give up Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton was the guy in terms of making big shots off the bench when the Bucs had their championship run. You cannot forget that. Like You cannot just you know think about the 2022 season without thinking about what Pat Connaughton did for that playoff run. And that first round pick, I, I don't, I don't like giving that up because there's a world next year if things don't go well for the Bucs and they finish in the Eastern Conference Finals or they lose in the finals, but they they aren't you know good enough to that one step over the Denver Nuggets. Just let's say Denver repeats or something like that. The Bucs have two expirings in Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday. The Bucs also will have. Three first-round picks that they can use if they don't trade the one in 2029. That's all available, all on the table for the Bucks to do a hard reset with Giannis Antetokounmpo to basically give Giannis other options for the team and build the next generation of Bucks basketball. We'll get to number five in a moment, who I think is the first step in the new generation of Bucks basketball that I think a lot of the national media is missing. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a second here. But the Bucs have to figure out how can we get 
Sexton here without giving up that first rounder and Pat Connaughton. Can we do it for Bobby and Grayson? It doesn't sound like the Jazz Jazz want to do it. So do you involve a third team? Do you bring a third team into that mix? If you bring a third team into that mix, what is that? What does that mean? What does that do? Uh, you just saw, you know, the Mavericks do one with Grant Williams, right? And the and the San Antonio Spurs. Spurs got Reggie Bullock. The Mavs got Grant Williams, and Boston got a bunch of picks. And and that was, you know, Boston's way of not losing an asset. And credit to them, you know, don't lose that asset. And I don't really think that the Bucks are in that that scenario. It's just how can you put the Jazz's foot to the fire? And do the Jazz even need, you know, necessarily need their feet to the fire uh, because they have a really good team. Like, I, I think the Jazz are a borderline playoff team right now. Like, I don't necessarily think they need Grayson Allen and Pat Conton. I think they wonder if there's a role for Colin Sexton. And that's where they're worried about him being an odd man out. So try to trade the asset instead of Sexton being a diminishing return when he's not playing much for the Jazz next season. I don't know. But if you could say Norm Powell, who was readily available and they were looking to get rid of, but I think they were also looking to dump that salary. Like I don't think the Clippers, you know, want 18 million back. So it's like, who do you do a three-team deal to get Norm Powell to the Bucks and then move off that 18 million, which essentially would be Bobby and Grayson, right? So who do you move Bobby and Grayson for to get Norman Powell? Do you try to get into the Emmanuel quickly business? That was another Bucks Twitter favorite. Now there's been no rumors that Emmanuel quickly is available, but do the Bucks try to get involved there and try to move, you know, the Knicks? How do you pressure the Jazz? How does John Horst not lose this staring contest and say, "This is my deal, take it or leave it"? And if the Jazz leave it, then so fucking be it. I'm okay with that. I, I am. I, I want to be very clear here. I'm okay if. Pat Connaughton and the first rounder are not involved. If that's what it takes to get Colin Sexton, I don't want him. Okay, that's I'll just say that I think Colin Sexton is a nice player, but I don't want to. I don't want to sacrifice that. And I think John Horst is right to de- dig his heels in. Number five is Marjan Bochamp. So I, I just mentioned, you know, the new generation of Bucks basketball, and, and I, I really think Marjan Bochamp is a huge part of it. I think Marjan Bochamp, you know. Seems like he has the Giannis seal of approval. He was working out with Giannis in Greece. He talked about it on a press conference, you know, before summer league that a lot of things have seemed to click for him, and it, it seems like Bochamp's ready to sort of take his game to the next level. And with Adrian Griffin coaching the Bucks summer league team, I think he's going to get a real look at Marjan. And summer league, I think, starts tomorrow actually for the Bucks. And if Bochamp can really make a statement in those summer league games, I think the sky is the limit. I think as long as, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to drop 45 or something like that, but as long as he looks competitive on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, I think there's going to be a role for him. I think what some of the national pundits have missed with the Bucks has been just ignoring the Bochamp, ignoring Andre Jackson Jr., I think there has been sort of a forgot that they did this. Like they have these young guys that is not just Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like there's a little bit more to this Bucks team. And there is a and there is this young sort of brood that's brewing, right? That's sort of getting there. And 
I think Marjan Bochamp is going to make his first sort of dent. And I do think that one of the storylines that will come out of storyline of uh, Summer League, excuse me, will be that Marjan Bochamp is a legit rotation player for the Milwaukee Bucks. And I, I, I would not be surprised if Marjan Bochamp is a starter by Christmas. I, I, I just think the sky's the limit. I think I see it. I think there's talent there. I'm not trying to overreact. I, I think just the working with Giannis, understanding who Giannis Antetokounmpo is, understanding that Giannis Antetokounmpo has more of a voice with this Bucks team and organization than he ever has before. I think Bochamp's going to have a, lo- a lot of opportunity to be a guy for the Bucks in October and November. And then I think ultimately could you know reach that top tier potential by December. We'll have to see. Number six is Jordan Love. So moving to Green Bay Packers. You know, it's early in the training camp, right? Uh, July 26th, I believe, will be the first training camp session for the Green Bay Packers. And that's, you know, there's not much to take away from five days of training camp in July. Well, I'm sure we'll have a lot more of a Packer focus for important rankings in the month of August. But I, I do think that those first couple days are just good to see how Jordan Love gets, you know, his feet underneath him, right? Handling the press conferences, handling, you know, being the guy at training camp, being the lead dog. Like, how will Jordan Love handle that sort of, I guess, I, I don't know if it's pressure per se, but just sort of how does that feel for him? And will he be able to respond to that? I, I, I hope that's the case. Um, I hope he does well um, on there and I hope he can kind of, you know, enjoy those moments because it's going to be different. It's not going to be what it was the last few training camps. He is going to be the leader of that offense. And how do the players respond? How does everybody get comfortable with Jordan? Now, I would imagine that because they've done OTAs and they've done all this stuff together in the offseason and Jones and, and Love have worked together in you know outside of, of Green Bay. Will that all pay off here early on in the training camp and the Packers, you know, sort of feel ready to go? And well, I'm sure we'll have the preseason discussion, you know, later in this month about, you know, should Love play, should he not play? I think he should, but I, I do think the Packers should be extremely careful because they don't really have a backup, right? And if Love were to go down, like that would completely affect the season in in more ways than one. And I do think Green Bay is playing a little fast and loose with that. I still, you know, am clamoring for either a veteran receiver or a veteran quarterback to back up Jordan Love. I understand that Sean Clifford is apparently rain man in terms of a backup. I, I saw we were so so stressed for content yesterday that a local radio called uh, Sean Clifford the worst backup of all time. Like I was like, all right, I think Sean Clifford stinks too. But he hasn't played a fucking game. Like, let's just, <laughs> let's like watch him in preseason. I, again, I'm, I was not a Sean Clifford guy in Penn State. I've told, I think I said that after the draft. I was very against the Sean Clifford pick, but let's just maybe chill out. Like, I understand there's not a ton of content right now. I understand it is, it is a bone dry in terms of the contract, in, in terms of the content. But let's just chill out just just a touch, just a touch. But yeah, be curious to see how Love handles, you know, sort of that new, the new era of Jordan Love being the dude. Number seven, let's go back to the Milwaukee Bucks and Adrian Griffin. I think just being the summer league coach is something you don't see out of a head coach. And I think that makes summer league 
worth watching for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think there is a lot of reasons to watch, but one of them is the fact that Adrian Griffin will be coaching. So will we actually see plays out of Adrian Griffin? Will we see different schemes from Adrian Griffin? Will we not see any of that because it's basically just guys sort of playing and trying to work for roster spots and work for training camp invites? And the scoring has been, you know, out of the, out of this world in terms of the summer league games that are already happening. But I do think that it's worth checking in on summer league games for the Bucks that just, just sort of see what you have with Griffin and see if there's anything different, see if there's anything noticeable. And it's cool that he's, you know, doing this. I think that that is something that is unique and sort of builds this immediate bond with the younger guys. And I don't think the Bucks have had that in a coach really, I don't know when, right? Uh, maybe Terry Stotts, maybe, right? And now it's ironic because Stotts is your assistant coach, but it's it's been a long ass time since you've had a coach really respond to the young guys and really want to get in on the ground floor with the young guys. Mike Boonholzer did not seem like a big fan of rookies, did not seem like he really felt like rookies matter. Jason Kidd had so many issues with young guys. You know, he, the, he ruined Jabari Parker's career because he was just a complete asshole. And if you read uh, Miriam Favors' Giannis book, you see how much of a prick Jason Kidd was, which it's very fascinating now that Jason Kidd has all these personalities in, in Dallas. Like, he has Kyrie, Luka, and Grant Williams alone. Like, and by the way, real quick on the Grant Williams side, Boston now has the, two of the best Giannis defenders are not on Boston anymore, Grant Williams and Marcus Smart. Yet, there were people who are Boston fans who are worried about, did the Bucks do enough to compete with the Boston Celtics? Well, the Boston Celtics now have just lost the two guys who were the best defenders against Giannis Antetokounmpo. Is Kristaps Porzingis going to guard Giannis? Are you going to forget that Giannis dropped 50 on his fucking ass in early, early June, July, or January? There we go. I, I had the J-Months, man. The J-Months are such a bitch. I don't know. I don't know why J-Months trip me up. And I, I don't know if they trip you up. Let me know Let me know in the comments. Hit me up on threads, Tabitha Keg Sports, or Tabitha Keg on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's, I don't know why that happens. But anyways, I, I'm excited for Adrian Griffin. I think that that's a really cool step forward and something to sort of build the bond of the young bucks who are trying to make this roster. We're going to wrap it up here quick uh, as we've went pretty long, which is great. I mean, I, to me, like importance rankings, you talk about so many topics, so many things that are about it. And to wrap up July here, number eight, I'm... I'm going to do a double and Raleigh Telez and Freddie Peralta. I, I think if you were to create a list of the most disappointing brewers this season, uh, Raleigh Telez and Freddie Peralta certainly are part of that, right? Uh, Raleigh Telez has not had a home run since May 22nd. He went on the Jeff Supon DL yesterday with forearm inflammation. Uh, and it's like a book basically of injuries that Roddy probably picked. Like the Brewers were like, all right, pick which one you want to say that you're hurt with. And they're like, oh, it's going to be a 10 day injury. He's not going to spend too much time on there. Basically seems like Roddy Telez will be back after the all-star break. And the Brewers were just looking for a roster spot and to give Roddy some breathing room to just have him take a few deep breaths and realize that it's going to be all right. That, your struggles suck, but you're going to figure this out and have an awesome second half. 
Freddie Peralta has also struggled. I, I will say Freddie hasn't struggled as much as as Rowdy Telez. Rowdy Telez has been just a complete nobody in terms of what he's done offensively. Like, it's just been really bad. And the Brewers have had this weird luck. And, and this is actually probably a good research project for me. But it seems like every other year, they just have such trouble at first base after a first baseman is awesome for them. Remember the Eric Thames year. Remember the Jesus Aguilar year. Like, it, it, it seemingly has happened to the Brewers time again where these first basemen have an awesome year and then they don't. Uh, but as for as for Peralta, who will not pitch the rest of the All-Star, or rest of the, the break, which actually I, I think is okay. I'm okay with giving, you know, Freddie Peralta a little bit of rest, a little bit of... Hey, we don't necessarily need more Freddie Peralta out there because he's pitched a lot, right? He's a young pitcher. It's it's worth sort of giving him a little bit of a rest. But he has a 4.61 ERA. He gave up three runs in his last start. Uh, did strike out eight, which is which is nice. But if you look at his game logs and you look at his season, Freddie Peralta has allowed. Three or more runs now in, let's see here, one, two, oh God, more than that. One, two, three, four, six, seven. His last nine starts, his last nine starts, Freddie Peralta has allowed three or more, or two or more runs. Uh, he's allowed two in a couple, but three or more in a majority of them. Freddie Peralta has seen his ERA go in early May at 332 to now 467. It has jumped, you know, uh, basically a run and run and a half, run and a quarter uh, for Peralta. Uh, it's been really rough. So can Freddie Peralta figure out what is wrong? Can he sort of right the ship, if you will? A lot of fly balls for Freddie too. Uh, 141 fly balls to 94 ground balls. Now that's Kind of similar to what we saw last year. It wasn't as extreme. It was 81-21 for Freddie, which is like part of that home run problem because more balls are getting in the air. And he's just become this extreme fly ball pitcher, which is kind of a detriment to Peralta. He's given up 15 home runs already this season. And I, I feel like that is correlated from you know his struggles right now. He gave up 14 in all of 2021. So can Peralta sort of fix that? And that is a, a huge thing for the Brewers in the second half. It really comes down to, you know, if Peralta and Telez can kind of at least find it a little bit. Like, we, they don't have to be all-stars, right? But if Telez can kind of find his power, Peralta can be a little less fly ball give up less home runs, and be a solid number two, number three guy for the Brewers, they're a different team. They are just going to be a better team. So I, I do think that Telez and Peralta have a huge role, you know, in the second half of the Brewers season. Number nine, yeah, I, I will go with Sal Freelich and Castanjira. They might have made the importance rankings in June. Be interested to see if Hira and Freelich come up uh, in that in the month of July, uh, if there's going to be that opportunity. Uh, my guy Brett on Twitter pointed out that. Blake Perkins' success has sort of blocked Sal Freelich. And I, I had asked Brett, I was like, well, wouldn't you just DFA Tapia, Ramil Tapia, who's you know, had some struggles. I, he's had some moments, but it's been more struggles, I think, than moments 
for the Brewers outfielder. And he's like, yeah, but Perkins basically blocks Freelich from playing. And it makes no sense to bring up Freelich if you're not going to play him. And that's absolutely correct. And so we'll see. If Blake Perkins starts to struggle, will that open the door for Sal Freelich? I, I do think Sal Freelich's going to have a moment with this Brewers team. It's just a question of when. And then for Castanjera, we've we've all been clamoring for it, but there really hasn't been that opportunity. But I will say I'm I'm pretty much done with Jesse Winker. And it's hard for me to continue to have this trade with Winker. I know he had a couple big hits on the road trip. I know he had a few moments. I know he's really well liked in that clubhouse, but he's slugging like 400 right now. He's not a baseball player. I'm sorry. Jesse Winker should be playing in Korea or Japan at this point. Like he, there's no reason Jesse Winker should be on this team. And I think you're doing a disservice to not try Hira out. And I understand that Hira has not necessarily, I don't think him and Craig Council have the best relationship. And I think that, that, it, that impacts it. I think Hira is one of the few that have not really found their footing with Council. And I think Council's done a really good job with a lot of other guys. I don't think he's done that with Hira. But it's kind of rubber meat in the road a little bit here. So we'll see if the Brewers make any sort of seismic changes, you know, before the All-Star break. I I highly doubt it. I think unless there's an injury, I think the Brewers are going to kind of stick with the team they have. Uh, And last thing I did have was Bucks rookies, but we we did kind of touch on that. Very interested to see Andre Jackson Jr., Amari Moore, Drew Timmy, and others see how they perform, you know, in summer league. So we'll have to see. All right, that was important rankings for the month of July. That went a little longer than I had projected. Uh, I, I will say, uh, just to kind of do quick little rapid fire on Brewers Cubs as well as threads, the Brewers Cubs series has been tremendous uh, this week. I wish the Brewers had won one of those games. Uh, that's going to sting, right? You're going to look back at that if you know things end and you're one or two games out of wild card or or the Central Division, what if you just would have won one of those games against the Cubs? I think Wednesday's loss hurts more than than Tuesday's loss because you were down four runs on Tuesday. You came all the way back. It's It's an admirable comeback. But on Wednesday, you basically were an out away from shutting the door. If you had shut the door on the Cubs in that in that one, you'd have a 2-1 advantage heading into today when you face Marcus Stroman, who's been really good against the Brewers. Now, Stroman struggled in his last couple starts, so you hope that maybe the regression train is is in the station for Marcus, and it's not necessarily just a couple bad starts, that he actually, the guy he was earlier this season, is not the guy he is today. But we'll have, we'll have to see if that if that is the case. You'd hate to lose three out of four to the Cubs heading into a series against the Reds, no matter what happens to the Reds. Because either you're three down to the Reds and the best you can do is tie them for the division to head into the All-Star break, or you you have that advantage. And we talked about that a little bit earlier on the show when we talked about the Brewers-Reds series this weekend. But yeah, I, I do think that uh, there's going to be a, you know, a real emphasis on winning this one. I think this is a big game for the Brewers today. And just the intensity of, of the series, I think, really speaks to not only the rivalry, but I, I think it really speaks to the Cubs not wanting to sell. The Cubs know that they have to keep their head above water, that they have to keep kind of winning baseball games to convince this organization not to sell. 
And I, I think that teams, and I'm, I don't know this because I've never really you know, been in a locker room, but I would love to talk to somebody where it's like, you're at this point of the year and are you just trying to play your hardest to, t- to convince this organization like, hey, we're good with the guys we have here. We do not want to sell. We do not want to you know, start booking trips to Cancun in October. We still think we have a play- playoff team here. And I think the hard thing for not only the Cubs, but a team like the Padres who just swept the Angels, a team like the Mets, where they have, you know, near positive run differentials. They're only six six out of the wild card. You know, the Cubs are seven out of the division, I believe. Like, can they, you know, make a move? Can they make one more push? And I think the Cubs are playing a little desperate. And I don't necessarily think the Brewers are playing as desperate as the Cubs. And I, I think that's, that's hurting them a little bit. I think the Brewers are also playing out of position. Owen Miller's not a fucking first baseman. I'm, I'm out on Owen Miller, by the way. I, I have... Just about had it with him. Owen Miller is not really hitting the baseball. He's caught. He's costing the Brewers runs in, in the in the outfield or in the infield. What the fuck is Owen Miller good for? So I'm out on Owen Miller in general. Great story, cool. Get the fuck off my team. Like I, I have a few guys like that. I mean, Winker's another one. You know, Owen Miller also. Uh, but yeah, it's it's tough, man. So it's bummer that Devin blew a save. I hopefully can bounce back uh, today if if given the opportunity. But a blowout against Stroman would be nice. I know I'm probably asking for a little too much. Last thing uh, on threads. So we are on threads. I think everybody's going to end up being on threads today uh, and checking it out. I will say that it is not a place for hanging out for sports. I have long since called Twitter my sports bar. Like I've called Twitter, you know, the sports bar and where I, I hang out and spend time and enjoy, you know, enjoy sort of the Twitter, the Twitter atmosphere there, if you will, and enjoy, you know, talking about the games and watching games with everybody. You can't do that right now on Threads. Threads is non-chronological. If Threads becomes chronological, maybe you can do that. Uh, maybe you can have sort of that that environment, but I, I don't think Threads necessarily is a live watch app. And that's something that Twitter has always had over all of these different apps, that they've always been sort of the live the live setting. And it's gonna be really interesting to see if Threads can beat out Twitter on that. And maybe that's phase two, maybe that's phase three, right? This is only the beginning for Threads, but that would be my one thing that, I think they need to add before football because it'll be really hard to pull yourself off Twitter with the thread, you know, with not having the chronological watching games with sports fans. So I'll be on both. I will definitely do, you know, some threading, but I, I do think it will be a little bit different than, than Twitter, a little bit different than Instagram. I think the coolest thing for me is that you're able to, I'm able to probably post reviews on another platform because Instagram really didn't respond well. I've struggled on Instagram really. So I look at it as an opportunity to build something else. Um, I've kind of been stuck at like 360 on Instagram. And part of it is just because I don't necessarily know what Instagram wants. What it seems like they want is just highlights. And I hate that. Like I, I hate just, clipping highlights like I can it's it's very fucking easy for me to clip highlights but it's also annoying it's like that's not necessarily what my personality to be on the platform and so I have work to do there and that's just one of those things where I have to sit down and sort of rethink 
Instagram strategy, but it's, it's tough, especially when you get new things like threads that everybody's on and you want to capitalize on, you know, being sort of on there and new for the people. All right. That does it for us. Longer show today. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, I do have topics. Don't worry. Um, just because I talked about Brewers Reds today doesn't mean I can't talk about uh, Brewers Reds tomorrow. Uh, get ready for other different things. I haven't done my bar shuttle rant, which I feel like I, I need to do uh, before it, sta- it gets too stale. Uh, yeah, and much more. So we'll have another show tomorrow, and then it'll be a little more normal next week. I think next week we'll have Mitch back. We won't have a show Friday. I can tell you that right now. We have I have a bachelor party. I'll be out. So we will have shows Monday through Thursday next week, and then Friday I'll, I'll have off because I will be uh, recovering from day one of FanFest. So we'll see how that goes. And maybe a live pod from FanFest. No, I'm just kidding. I will not bring my mic. Uh, So for those hoping, sorry about that. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.